Hello and welcome to The Grand Thunk, the podcast in which we, Alex Blanchard and Rhiannon Kearns, discuss what we've been reading, watching and listening to. A fairly simple premise. We have transcripts in our link tree in our Instagram bio at The Grand Thunk. You can message us there or email us, thegrandthunk at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, review and tell all your friends. Welcome to season three. We're back again. We're back. <laughs> and we're back with a extremely exciting twist for us, maybe for not for everyone else. <laughs> but this is the first time the Grand Thunk is recording in person. <laughs> this is the first time that Rihanna and I have actually seen each other in person since we began the project. <laughs> yeah, we haven't done a single episode. We, I came to a meeting. That's not right. I came for dinner and we talked about it and then haven't seen each other since. And here we are, season three, sat in a room. Staring lovingly over my microphone at you. I'm so happy. Ah, what a month or two we've had as well in our hiatus from the Grand Thunk. So much has happened. It's been busy. It's been busy. Do you want to tell the listeners your news? So, I got married. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly twice. (laughs) Got married once. We had done the whole classic move the wedding next year then we decided to just have a kind of fuck it moment and go we just want to get married let's get married tiny little wedding and then three days before the wedding sam got covid (laughs) uh so then we were back into isolation for 10 days managed to rearrange it very quickly i'm now an expert miniature wedding reorganizer if you need me i'm here for you and then yeah managed to get married and it was we had a great day tell me some highlights i know nothing about it i've seen some pictures oh first thing that jumps into my head Mm. was we had a quite a rogue vicar Mm -hmm. so we had joked that we kept getting sacked by vicars that weren't happy to marry (laughs) us we didn't quite get sacked but we did go through five before we actually got married that's a lot right (laughs) just because the plans kept changing so much and then with covid and then having a smaller wedding this year and then the vicar we first met then retired then mm-hmm. we got the new replacement and then when the wedding got moved because of covid the second time <laughs> he was on holidays so he had to call in like a substitute vicar oh from the gosh. next parish who was so lovely obviously yeah. i'm not gonna slag off a vicar on a podcast because i feel like that's a ticket <laughs> straight to hell and very ungodly <laughs> but he was lovely this is a godly podcast very really. godly when we met him on zoom done so many zooms with vicars it mm-hmm. feels like it's normal now um <laughs> he was very nice very funny very chilled we were like great and he was very nice and very funny. But in the service, we'd, one of the readings we'd chosen, which is like a really normal wedding reading, Song mm-hmm. of Solomon, and it's like a very classic, well-used reading. He then did his like address and he talked about erotic poetry and used the word breasts more times than they should be used <laughs> in a wedding ceremony. And we were always there like, oh, this is a bit strange. It's gone a bit off piste. And he kept going and he started describing this sexual poem that's in a different section of the same bit mm. our reading was from. But the reading that we did was very normal and PG. So I was like, why are you talking about the weird bit that we didn't even <laughs> choose? Um, it was just so odd and we had my lovely Irish grandparents who obviously couldn't be there on FaceTime at the back of the church and I was just like sat there sweating thinking I really hope the sound isn't travelling well enough (laughs) that they can hear him talking about heaving breasts and stroking thighs and this really weird 
wedding chat. It was oh my God, that very strange. really makes me think of that extract from a book. I was reading The Witcher. <laughs> and do you remember the extracts I sent you? I'm going to find... Oh, oh, I do, I do, I do. I know what you're talking about now. You know how people have that stereotype of how men write about women... Mm-hmm in books and and you kind of think that just must be an outdated stereotype and then i was reading the witcher and found these two extracts that were just absurd <laughs> Geralt threw himself after her catching her hair and belt with a practice move yennefer also having gained practice landed him a blow with her elbow the sudden move split her dress at the armpit revealing a shapely breast an oyster flew from her torn dress an oyster an oyster <laughs> <laughs> The next page was then Geralt grabbed her by the hands and to avoid being hit by her forehead, thrust his face into the sorceress's cleavage, which smelled of lilac, gooseberries and oysters. (laughs) Well, it would do if she's keeping oysters in there. It's so unnecessary for a fight scene to involve breasts. And I love that they're always shapely breasts. Very shapely. They can't just be breasts. They have to be shapely breasts. Nothing droopy or (laughs) very shaped. Definitely got a shape to them. So that's essentially what you're saying your priest was doing. So you got a bit vivacious with the old description (laughs) and it was a bit bit uncomfortable for a moment. But hey, it's a memory. It's a memory. The rest of the day was very smooth and it was lovely and the sun shone. And actually on the original date that Mm -hmm. it would have been had we sad not got COVID, it was like 30 degrees. So I would have been wow sliding down oh, your the aisle with sweat dress was beautiful though oh you look so lovely it was so the much pictures fun. are so gorgeous and we're doing it all again next year to celebrate with our family and friends and have everyone there so delightful best of both worlds exactly <laughs> and you also have had a fairly big step big life yes. change in the last upheaval i've moved from town to country i'm now a country mouse Woo. living in dorset which is exciting it's really exciting and surprisingly i mean i know i've only been here two weeks <laughs> But I don't miss London yet, mm. <laughs> and I thought I would. I guess more it's a good time to move away. In that, lots of the good stuff. I know it is all coming back and things like that, mm. but it hasn't been like the London we all know and love for so mm. long that I guess it's easier to leave and find the perks of yes. country life. Well, that was the weird thing when we were leaving. I started getting incredibly homesick for life pre-COVID and getting mm. really homesick for the parties and the things that we were doing, but haven't done for so long. It was a really weird thing where you're leaving a place where you haven't done all that stuff, missing all the stuff that you used to do, if mm. that makes sense. It, well, yeah. it wasn't missing the life I was leading, but missing the life I had led prior Even to that. Further back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're here and we're recording on your lovely we're new here. house and it's beautiful. Oh, so happy to be here. And what a month or two we've had. I've got a brief summary of news oh my gosh that's exciting (laughs) so we've had heat waves and flooding we've had me moving house you've had covid got married almost did covid and marriage at the same time (laughs) (laughs) we've had massive lows like the situation in afghanistan which we urge anyone to donate to if they can there are some excellent charities such as choose love who are doing their utmost help afghan refugees we've had the plymouth shooting and I've read some really informative articles about incel culture, which I will link in the yeah. show notes as well, about who has a right to sex. So for anyone that doesn't know, incels are a group of people, a group of men, who believe that they are involuntarily celibate because of women not having sex with them purposefully. One article in particular in the London Review of Books by Amir Srinivasan looks at the way in which 
the patriarchy has shaped sexual ideas and desires of men and women and how this then has influenced incel culture, which was really interesting. And the other article mentioned very briefly something which I've been wondering about in a similar way to the radicalisation of young men, middle-aged feminists being, and I quote, <laughs> transformed into transphobes by spending too much time on Munsnet, which mm. I was really interested by, that seemingly no one's risk-free on the internet from being radicalised in some way or another. Yeah, and radicalised, as a word, it sounds so dramatic and so heavily linked to terrorism. Mm. It can be radicalised in all manner of ways, in all mm-hmm. manner of beliefs and things that don't seem as outwardly dangerous but have mm. crazily dangerous consequences once that's taken place. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then we've had huge highs, like the Olympics. Oh, I was so obsessed <laughs> with the Olympics. I, I was going to ask you, did you watch it? Because I know you're not a massive sports fan, but did you get swept up in the joy? <laughs> no, I didn't know. <laughs> but I did notice that Tom Daly finally won gold oh, after four Olympics and 13 so years of competitive diving. Which and was... did you see his knitting? I know, I saw his knitting. I knew that's the bit you'd pick up on. Yes, his <laughs> knitting, his declaration of being gay. That was really special. All of that was just so joyful and, and delightful. Mm. We've had Paralympic sprinter and long jumper Olivia Bream criticised for wearing shorts that are too short. And then conversely, mm. the Norwegian's women's beach handball team fined for covering too much of their bums. Pink, incidentally, the pop star paid said fine. What a woman. <laughs> The A37 has had new sightings of the man with the box on his head. What? I've missed this completely. I was not sure where you're going from sports shorts to A37. I was like, this is going to be good. I was at the pub and a man I met there informed me about the sightings of a man with a box on his head in the A37. And he also noted that sometimes there was a sign behind the box that said, Woo! <laughs> So was he just standing there with a box on his head or was he doing something? They're standing there with, he's got a big white sheet on and then a cardboard box with a smiley face. And sometimes he has a sign that says, woo, Woo. out back. I quite like that. (laughs) I'd woo if I went past. We had Britney's infamous court case and Pandora Sykes' excellent podcast, which I binged. I said I would and I did. You did. Well done. True to your word. Lady of my word. (laughs) Exploring Britney's rise to stardom and how we treat women in the spotlight. And did you then see Blake Lively's Instagram post after this? No, I did not. Oh, it's very interesting. She posted a picture that was published in a big newspaper. One was her smiling, waving by herself and the other photo was a picture of her with her children hiding from the camera and oh i did see this she was condemning the paparazzi for hounding her and her children after she agreed to pose for them without her children tell the whole story she urges my children were being stalked by men all day jumping out and then hiding please stop paying grown men to hide and hunt children which I thought was really stark and important, particularly after Britney's court case and, mm. and then listening to Pandora Sykes' podcast and finding out the extent to which... Because I think we were slightly too young when Britney's thing was kicking yeah. off to know the true extent of what was happening and the podcast really lays that bare. So I'm very interesting to see that that's still happening. That is my roundup of the last month or two. I'm so impressed. <laughs> All I've got written down yes. as to exciting things that have happened since we've been away is yes. the return of the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> it's back! <laughs> the wheel is back. My favourite game show. 
So and it's even better. It's so good. Yeah. Have you ever have you, have you watched it yet? No. Oh my gosh, when we finish this, I'm gonna sung sit the you song down. many times. It's so good. It's back. I think there's three episodes. I've watched them all. There's a new element to the game called the money spinner, which uh-huh. is like an accumulator round where it's like a topic, say like types of vegetable, and they just the wheel keeps spinning until they've run out of answers, and it's oh small joys, big joys. It's great. Can't wait to watch more. And presumably Love Island has finished? Well, yeah, so actually we left this and I was hanging Mm. in the balance of whether to watch it. I know everyone will be dying to find out. I did not watch it. I'm actually very glad. It was just from a product of time. But that has blown my mind that the whole time we've been off feels like ages. And for it to have imagined it have been on every night since then. Isn't it strange how this year probably has been the biggest year for both of us I'd say in terms of like seismic life shifts Mm, would you say definitely and how interesting that we'll be able to look back at these recordings of us and Mm. it will almost be like a little time capsule of us going through these big shifts yeah and I love that it has been over lockdown and over pandemic life Mm. in general because yeah it's quite a cool thing to have come out of it with Mm. huh Ha. Ha. on we go <laughs> the wheel <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I watched yes. um, ages ago when I was thinking about chatting to you today I was like we have to we mm. have to talk about this and I hope you've seen it too have you watched season 2 of This Way Up oh you know I haven't really oh I'm so excited for you and jealous oh. that you've got that to come yes <gasps> I mean, so you sent that to me and I didn't have time at the time and then I forgot about it Lucky you, you got a treat. <laughs> if you're an experienced thunker and you've been with us a while, you will totally appreciate our undying love for all things Ashling B mm-hmm. and Sharon Horgan and This Way Up, which is a Channel 4 comedy. Season 1 came out a couple of years ago and it was just my favourite show of the year mm. slash all years. I just cannot rave about it enough. Anyway, so the much anticipated second series came out and totally did not disappoint. I... I think I actually loved it more than the first. Oh, do you think? It really was brilliant. It has the potential to be better, doesn't it? As in, it just has so much potential. Yeah, it really grew. And I, mm. I did try and eke it out because it's, it's not, it's not long series. There's not, they're not mm. long episodes. But I think it was about a week, and it was consumed. Just so, so funny as before. So moving. I won't go into the details, seeing as you've not seen it yet. But what I just find so impressive about her and this season is how she gets so many important topics into the series so Mm -hmm. fluidly and she kind of integrates them with complete authenticity and heart but it's still hilarious there's no like virtual signaling in her Mm -hmm. writing it's not that she wants to just cram hot topics in there Mm -hmm. but she does manage to weave the issues that are important to her in with Mm -hmm. real consideration and keeping it as a comedy at its core and Mm -hmm. she never undercuts the ethos of what she's talking about by keeping it a comedy mm-hmm. I, don't, I just don't know how she does it it's really really clever even things like the product placement that she uses hmm. and you know she's <laughs> <laughs> is there a lot of product placement well just things like that she's really passionate about eco-friendly things and oh, that's in there really okay. subtly but she's not also... suddenly driving an Audi or something <laughs> <laughs> sponsored by dad coke i'm looking this up on my apple computer yeah. <laughs> This series particularly has got really brilliant representation. It's diverse in ethnicity, mm-hmm. disability, gender, class, and the things she cares about as a writer, as mm. well as maybe as a character, are embedded without shoehorning them. There's an episode that's got touched on Grenfell, the Windrush scandal, mental health support, suicide prevention and support. You know, mm-hmm. There's so many things, but it's not like a topic-based show or anything, and it's mm-hmm. really still 
a hoot. A hoot is what a it is. Um, it doesn't sound it when I list off all those <laughs> scary topics, but it really is. And I thought the plot was also moved along really nicely from mm. last series without concluding anything. It's definitely mm. left open. So I am season praying three. for season three. It must, it must be, surely, surely, mm. surely. But yeah, if you've never watched it, definitely go back to series one. And if you have, enjoy season two. I'm very jealous that you've got mm. it to come. Channel four, channel five. Four. So channel four sent me an email... Oh, yeah. Two days ago. <laughs> being like, you haven't used your account in two years. Oh. <laughs> I was like, it can't be possible because of This Way Up, which I definitely Maybe watched. Maybe it wasn't Channel 4. Let's Maybe it's Channel Google. 5. It's the big things we talk about it's here. Channel 4. It's Channel, Channel 4. Channel 4. So clearly I used someone else's account to watch that on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I have a book that I'm dying to tell you about, which is, uh, as all the other topics seem to be, very much in keeping with everything we were talking about last season. It's a book by Caroline O'Donoghue mm. called Scenes of a Graphic Nature. You are going to love this book so much. Oh, that's great. You really are. And I also saw... Dolly Alderton and Caroline O'Donoghue in conversation for mm. Dolly's book in the Palladium must have been a month or so ago which was really interesting and Caroline is so smart so this book is about Charlie who's the daughter of an Irish man who moved to England and her father whose health is failing has mythologized his life in Ireland making a history and a fantasy that Charlie really longs for and wants to be part of her dad's Irish history is marked by a singularly tragic and startling story. He is the lone survivor of a tragic accident at his primary school. Now, Charlie's an aspiring filmmaker and she used her father's story to make her first film. Ooh. But a few years later now, the buzz from making this film was wearing off. So she and her best friend and co-filmmaker, Laura, decide to head to Ireland in homage to their film and Charlie's dad's history. And they're initially charmed by the Irish culture and warmth before the charade of the locals begins to fade and Charlie begins to uncover the true history of her father's life, the small island he grew up on, and Ireland's history and the way it's acted towards women in terms of single women that got pregnant mm. and unmarried women. And it's so riveting oh gosh, and gripping. sounds so, so interesting. I can't wait to read this. It's such a charming... It's a weird mixture between, like, girls on holiday, having a fun time, mm. this incredibly profound story of Irish history, and then sort of a thriller as yeah. well. It's such a gripping book. That's an area that's so interesting to explore, that kind mm. of classic charm of Ireland mm. and Irish culture and Irish people that I've never thought to kind of look past. I'm from mm. an Irish family and so I just look at it all with loads of love and it's a kind of an integral part of my history and my mm. current life and everything. It's only met with positivity. Any time I would meet new friends at mm -hmm. school growing up when I was like, you know, teenage years, if it came up, oh, my dad's Irish. Oh my God, that's so cool. Does mm. he have an Irish accent? Like, ah. <laughs> it's a, a culture that gets instant mm. connection with. I'm very interested to hear a writer dig yes. past that and see what's no, underneath. Yeah, it totally... Uh, I feel like, I mean, I don't want to read too much into it, but I feel like probably something to do with the history of colonisation and to do with the Irish diaspora being so widely spread and particularly in America and England that it feels like a lot of people have a stake in Irish history and have then romanticised and mythologised this Irish past mm. and feel drawn to Ireland and yeah. feel welcomed by Ireland in some sort of 
yes, romanticized, fictionalized way. And it's really interesting because there's a moment in the book where I think the locals talk about that, where they say Ireland isn't a product for other people to consume yeah. and as a, you know, a fun thing to believe in. And everyone wants that claim to mm. it. You know, there's the classic mm. thing that Irish people always say is when they're in another country. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you're Irish. Oh, my granddad's cousin's niece's dog's brother's Irish. <laughs> like everyone wants a connection yes. there. Yeah. And I wonder where that's all come from. Is she Irish, Carolina Donoghue? Yes, yes. Very Irish. Not very Irish. Extremely <laughs> Irish. <laughs> she was born Irish and she grew up there. <laughs> oh, I apologise for my accent, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there were just so many scathing and cutting descriptions of that romanticized, romanticized <laughs> fictionalized performance. And but also then, in turn, the performance that the locals put on mm. for the tourists that it's like, oh, we're Irish and this is an Irish pub and we've got our old stories and your old man. Song all the time. Yeah, yeah, your old man propping up the bar and yeah. and it creates this sense of identity that people instantly feel like they belong to, but it's very a very surface belonging and actually what this book is exploring is the real roots of Ireland that are somewhat unwholesome in this particular area mm. that they, they go on to uncover, but that those roots are covered up by this charm and this yeah. and this welcoming ease and, and everything that makes up that side of Ireland, basically. Mm. But I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was fantastic. I really Sounds did. Sounds so good. I really want to read that. Mm. And it's, it's interesting, actually. I remember once, quite a few years ago, I was introduced to a friend's new girlfriend, and mm-hmm. we got chatting. I think it was around the time of the Eighth Amendment trying to be changed and obviously then was she was like oh so we're in a similar situation you've got Irish family and I was like yeah and I said yeah with such like joy I'm really like proud of my Irish family I love them to bits obviously Mm -hmm. and she was like oh god I find it so troublesome to have that link and was instantly quite negative about it took me really by surprise I was like oh I've never thought to connect my connection to Ireland with anything other than like joy and pride Mm -hmm. she was like it's a nice place and it's I love the people but everything, it's rooted in the laws and the religion and it's the extreme beliefs mm. often. And she was just holding that and looking at that and going, I don't like that I'm connected to that. I find it really mm. hard. And I was like, wow, it really stuck with me for ages because I thought I understand all that, but I'd never connected that with me or my family or my relationship to that country. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so interesting from someone to have written a book that mm. really celebrates that romanticized view, but also digs underneath it and... I'm really intrigued. Mm. Well, it's also interesting because I suppose the other sort of untold story of Ireland, not necessarily untold, but the the other story of Ireland is the English colonisation of Ireland, which then does the reverse, as you were saying, that, you know, I'm ashamed to be English or British because Mm. of our the actions of England at that time, which I suppose, I mean, that is a line of thought. Mm. It is very complicated when you start thinking about it all more presently. I find it all a bit like, oh, Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the book, which was a celebration of your culture and your country and the people in it, but then also an awareness of other people's interactions with your own country and the history and the people that are currently living there in parallel. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good book. That sounds awesome. Love it. Yeah. And I was also touched by... I noticed Caroline was talking on her Instagram stories about 
how the book was published during lockdown and how because of that and I think so many books have this that have been published in the last year where they the celebration of them is very online mm. rather than kind of, kind of physicality of books that which is so important with books it, I know that people are always doing the whole Kindle mm. book debate but it, the physicality of a book is so important and yeah. it was really nice to read that knowing that she had a difficult time with it being mm. published in lockdown yeah, and I think it's kind of good to admit that and, and almost mm. champion a bit and be like, this was really shit that I brought out a book that mm. for debut authors as well, I must. I know she's not, but other authors mm. that have brought their first book out, you know, just a bit like, oh, like the mm. fall must feel a bit oh, hard, yes. lost in that bit of a, an online void that we're all flailing in. Although probably, I imagine sales were actually up in lockdown. Yeah, I guess, books, actually. I would have thought. Readers. Mm. Well, speaking of the online world, something yes. I did this summer. Ooh, a segu. Uh, <laughs> a segu. Yeah, this summer I finally ticked off something that I have felt ever so ashamed about yes. over recent years because I finally went to the Edinburgh Fringe. Did you? Yeah. Okay, lovely. I mean, for all of one day. Yeah. I've never been before, <laughs> which is a bit sacrilegious to say as an actor that I'd never been. Yeah. I don't know how it's just never happened. Have it you? It's very been? cliquey, the idea of going to Fringe or being at Fringe and putting on plays Well, I think taking a show, it's mm. the classic thing that people who don't know much about the performing arts industry but mm. mean well, the classic thing that they say like, oh, are you going to, why don't you go on EastEnders? You know, that the person that says that, comment would also say well why don't you just take a show to the fringe like mm. ah, sure there was a statistic about the average cost it takes so much to take a show to the fringe it is thousands so of pounds. expensive and i think pretty much every show that goes there leaves in a deficit yeah because putting on a show is expensive but it's the particularly the fringe because venues are so hard to come by accommodation so hard to come by it's all put up to absolute premium for those four weeks yeah, it's just yeah. an incredibly expensive... It's mad. I think it's six grand as the stat I've just come across is yeah. the average price. And you easily, think, easily. Oh, that's just to put on your own show, never mind going mm. and seeing other people's. Anyway, so, yeah. yeah, I've never been, but we were heading up to the Isle of Skye mm. for our honeymoon, which is marvellous. And yes. we did two days in Edinburgh on the way up, and... I hadn't really been aware of the fringe this year because I just no, presumed it wasn't on, but it, yeah. it is, and it's half online and half in person, and the in person things are really reduced, but they're yeah. definitely still there. And it happened to start literally the day we were in Edinburgh, which is yeah. very exciting. And we went to see a brilliant comedian mm-hmm. called Isabel Farah, and her show is called Ellipsis. Ah, oh, it was so good. It's been so long since I've been to any stand-up comedy nights or kind of sketch shows or anything like that that's mm-hmm. something that I really missed in my short spell of living in London as he lived <laughs> moved there Aww. lived there in a pandemic left again I was so keen to get to more Aww. sort of sketch scratch nights and things like that we'll be back we'll be back we'll come for you once we've had our dose of countryside <laughs> uh, but yeah she it was absolutely fantastic she's definitely one to watch her writing is so clever and her comedy is very multi-layered so she's an actor a writer and now a stand-up comedian which i think Mm -hmm. has been a venture for the last several years and the show ellipsis is so clever because it's a comedy piece but it's about doing stand-up so Mm. it's a little bit inception style Mm. and she's extremely smart with it and very very funny so but it's also really dark and quite sad in places as well joe explores grief and a bereavement that she'd experienced and how that bled into her comedy as well as all the other aspects of her life Mm. you know her day-to-day routine her work relationships her stand-up material you know could she talk about it yet was that wrong was it weird was it helpful was it healthy like how to untangle all of those things and the show is delivered in this 
really quirky framework of picking apart a stand-up routine and mm. breaking it down for the audience and sort of giving us the constructs and showing us how it all works and letting us in on the secret of being like, mm. when a comedian does this, they're trying to do this. And and she used the lighting and the sound so, so well for this. She'd, mm. she'd kind of talk to us in two different ways. When the, mm. the lights were up, it's like a big wash on the stage and she was talking really naturally, not mic'd or anything. Mm-hmm. That was when she was sort of explaining these structures of stand-up and, and weaving her story and her life Mm. through it and then she'd give examples or tell parts of the story through doing actual sections of stand-up and she'd you know the lights would come down spotlight she'd be standing in front of a mic yeah and so it's this really well balanced because at any moment that you felt like you've been listening to the more serious side of her story or like Mm. that part of the show for a little while it would just break and then Mm -hmm. you'd have these moments of instant light relief not in a I was going to say basic that sounds really insulting to her comedy because it's not basic but it's almost like oh, here's a show that's making you laugh and making you think and making you a bit sad and uncomfortable. And now here's a light breather of just funny and then mm-hmm. go back into it. It was mm. really, really interesting. That kind of break in the tension she played with so well mm. and the sound as well. She explained at the beginning about how the different levels of content that you can go into as a stand-up, depending on how good a comic you are, how experienced mm. you are. And so she kind of talks about it in game language like if you're a beginner if you're a level one comic Mm -hmm. you can talk about like love and relationships and then you level up to become a level two comic and now you can talk about gender and war and things and it's a bit more serious and then you level up again and now you can talk about politics and race and (laughs) and every time she leveled up in her set there's like this Mm -hmm. little video game like a da-da-ding and literally like leveled up it was really clever and you heard more about her life and her journey with grief as she was leveling up as a comic it was very clever Mm. um but also like I said really deeply sad as well it really it really hit me and there was quite a shared feeling of grief in the room I felt a bit bad for her really because I thought the show was much funnier than the audience responded oh interesting it was like it was afternoon it was like half three or four Mm. and it was a really big audience and she said at the end like she was really excited it was early stages of her run and Mm -hmm. it was quite a big crowd for the show where she'd done it before and I I almost wanted to be like like laughing extra loud like (laughs) make up for everyone (laughs) (laughs) very good I think everyone did love it but it was that because it leapt around in tone you Mm. weren't like in that really relaxed laugh at anything kind of mode I guess but yeah, I, I left thinking I absolutely loved that show and I laughed a lot. But the thing I came over the most was the way she talked about her grief and bereavement. Yeah. And, and it was really eloquent and honest. And the last few lines really, yeah, stung me. I kind mm. of left the lump in my throat and, and wanted to like hug her and everyone else in the room. But also I'd had a really good time. It was yeah, really yeah. quite weird and very powerful, smart comedy. So definitely check her out, Isabel Farah. I'm sure she'll be popping up everywhere and doing loads of other shows. If you see her and if you see the show Ellipsis, definitely check it out. I really recommend it. That's so interesting, isn't it? I don't know whether it's my awareness of comedy has changed, but I do remember comedy being a lot more kind of one-liners and a show was just a, or a set was just a period of time. But I feel like now there's so much more structured around stories and around sort of mining trauma in a sort of sense. There's a life story and there's a journey and there's a, there's a movement around the jokes. It's, it's funny in a different way than the way that I perceive comedy before. I think with sort of Hannah Gadsby's show and things like that that I've seen where, yeah, it really feels like you're being taken on a journey through the comedian's life 
that's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Actually, as you were saying that, I just mm. was searching. The reason we booked this show was because of the little blurb. Mm-hmm. And it actually explains that really well. Her bio for the show is, stand-up is the outlet that keeps you sane. The nature of the game is to turn everything into punchlines. But can you do it if you feel all-consuming sadness? Mm -hmm. In some ways, I wanted my therapist to come and watch me to see how fucking hilarious I am. (laughs) And in other ways, I thought how odd it would be performing to someone who seems so far beyond my mask. Mm. Would he even find it funny or just sit there knowing what I was hiding? Oh, and I was like, that's exactly what it is. It is the kind of, can you mine your trauma? Yeah. Does it work for you, the audience, the, yeah. the system? Like, it's just, yeah, a really, really, really good show. I was, mm. my very first and only Edinburgh Fringe show that I've seen <laughs> was a triumph. <laughs> oh, God, I love that you did a whiz through. So you went to the Isle of Skye. Yeah. For climbing mountains is what I... Lots of walking and and mountain climbing and mm. sea... Sw- actually, not so much sea swimming. I'm not going to lie, we had god-awful weather better very cold in scotland <laughs> it's so windy and rainy we're in a little we're in a camper van it was yeah it was so beautiful the isle of sky is amazing i think loads of people have been this summer everyone on social media mm. maybe it's just that thing that when you've been you're spotting it everywhere but mm. the old holiday in the uk mm. going strong and scotland's definitely the destination but yeah yeah sky was stunning oh mm. i'm gonna tell you about another book which i really enjoyed tell me tell me tell me <laughs> the good thing about having had so much time off is that I can just give you like very precise cream mm. of the crop books rather than giving you everything I read all the time. I like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Next week we'll be back to the <laughs> <laughs> average things that I happen to have picked up and read. <laughs> now I really enjoyed the female persuasion by Meg Wallitzer, mm. which follows Greer Kadetsky, who is at college and she's feeling lost. I think it's set in America. She doesn't know who she is and who she wants to be. And her friend drags her to a feminist talk where Greer watches Faith Frank weave her magic for the first time. Faith is 66, charismatic and compelling and a feminist leader and speaker. Faith gives Greer purpose and mentorship as she navigates adulthood. And meanwhile, Faith is struggling with the idea of selling out as her charitable feminist foundation is seeking investors. So this book doesn't necessarily cover the newest of ground. It's very white feminism and it it is at times a little bit clunky and sort of didactic when it's explaining what feminism is or the discovery of of certain ideas or ideals. But it does encapsulate an idea which really fascinated me, which is the notion of different generations of feminism which tones with what I was mentioning earlier about the some older feminists becoming or being trans-exclusionary or transphobes. It really got me thinking about how we can build on this legacy that older feminists have left and how can we build on that and learn from those older feminists and appreciate them and what they've done whilst disagreeing with them. And I think it's a great sign of development and growth that feminism has changed so much. But can it change without alienating the people that have started the movement? And I thought the other side to this as well is how can we as feminists grow and develop our politics as we grow older? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm already beginning to see the generation below us develop their politics. And I suppose it brought up that worry of making sure that we are developing and growing with the politics that's doesn't stop just because we've reached more of an age of maturity with our ideas. 
Yeah, that's quite a scary thought, really, isn't it? I know, I know. <laughs> and also thinking about which things in particular, you know, in the kind of thing where I reckon in 2015, 2015, I think in 2050, we'll look back and be absolutely shocked that we were ever eating meat and yeah. how are we so barbarous things like that that then there are so many things probably about the way that we're living our lives and the way that we're we're believing that lives should be led that probably in 30 years time will be totally different Mm. and we'll be totally on the wrong side of history yeah but I think it's also good to kind of run into that with Mm. a bit of confidence going it's as long as you're open to it it's totally fine to look Mm. back at your past self and go wow how wrong were we or we thought this that's so crazy now i can't believe we thought cancer culture was the way to go (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think it's both a quite intimidating thought Mm. and a good reminder Mm. to keep open and listening but not to be too scared of it as well i think be accepting that we're gonna have got a lot of things wrong and Mm. look back on it with with new smugness (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm so interested by intergenerational Mm politics i think it's so fascinating to watch one generation ram up against another and now not being a student i now see why students are so feared by the general population as a whole it's so strange not feared but it always seems to be students that are leading the revolution in so many different ways there's always seems to be students that are leading some mass charge into Mm. a new politic and it's weird to now not be part of that group yeah. And to see that as separate from myself, but still something I'd like to be part of. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I, I agree. Mm. I read a book that mm. I think I spoke about at the end of last season saying that I wanted to. Mm. I pre-ordered it. I'd never pre-ordered a book before. <gasps> Ooh. It was great fun. Because yes. it arrives on the day it comes out. Out the blue. Actually, sometimes it arrives a few days early and you feel Stop. like little sneaky spy is great um (laughs) i read sunset by jesse cave yes Um, ah it was have you read it no i haven't sorry i'm being very enthusiastic because i was mistaking jesse cave for jesse ware Ah. who happened now i'm a country girl our local local country fate apparently jesse ware was there wow and that is not who you're talking about. So. It's not, but it's a great anecdote. I'm glad it got in there. Yeah, and I didn't see her, but my friend did. Oh, so that's cool. <laughs> An even better story. <laughs> no, Jessie Cave wrote... The beautiful graphics. On the book. Yes. Yeah, hand-stitched by her mum. Mm. So she does all of Jessie Cave's stand-up shows or theatre one-woman shows. Her mum mm. makes all her backdrops. And they're often like very felty and textured and I was beautiful. thinking we should get some a Grand Thunk thing I would, like that, that would be made. cool. Maybe we'll mm. get in touch with Jessie Cave's mum. Yes. See what she can do with some pink and green. <laughs> Hello, Jessie Cave's mum. We'd like, we'd like a backdrop, please. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sunset was is her debut novel. Mm. It was truly spectacular. I mm. adored this book. I think she's such a gifted writer. I've harped on about her podcast, the podcast she does with her mm-hmm. sister, Bibi, mm-hmm. before. I think actually Bibi narrates the audiobook of the book, which yes. is nice. Yes. I, I read it as a copy, but mm-hmm. I think that's a nice touch. Their podcast, we can't talk about that right now on here Mm -hmm. before. And I just devoured Sunset. It's so wonderful. It's about two sisters who go on holiday together. And the character that we follow, Ruth, suffers the unimaginable loss of her sister, Hannah. And the book follows her as we, as Ruth has to keep living. It takes us right up to, right up until the moment Hannah dies. Then it jumps to the months after, then jumps back to the moments after. It it uses the timeline really, really well. Mm. 
it fascinated me, this book. It did so many things I haven't experienced before because it's mm-hmm. not a book that shies away from anything. Mm-hmm. I think from honest relationship chat to quite bold descriptions of something extremely traumatic mm-hmm. physically as well as emotionally, not just the mental struggles of grief, but the physical traumatic reaction to seeing someone you love mm. die in an awful accident. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it really shocked me, but then... I questioned why it was shocking me in all sorts of different ways. It was, Mm. I remember getting close to the bit where Hannah dies and being sort of desperate to read on, Mm. but also really scared to read on because it was awful. And I, and I knew it was going to confront it strongly and boldly. And at the same time, she couples that strong confrontation of grief Mm. with really beautifully constructed character relationships and they feel so true Mm. that it kind of marries that desperately intense sadness with so much light and beauty that Mm -hmm. it makes the grief that you you experience with Ruth which is just totally insurmountable it it doesn't consume the book yeah it's really interesting I've just realized that I've spoken about two pieces about grief which is weird because (laughs) neither of them felt particularly they have their heavy moments but yeah just two pieces about grief, neither mm-hmm. of which felt condemned by grief. If you follow Jessie Cave mm. or their podcast, you'll know that her and her sister, Bibi, are incredibly close. Mm-hmm. And they've got a really great relationship that's really, I think I spoke about, about it before, a very sisterly relationship. I just yeah. think it really encapsulates that classic sister. Heartbreaking to imagine. Yeah, to go through that. And, mm. it, you know, that really close bond that they have is totally echoed in the book it's not yeah. an exact replica she's not written about her and her sister and actually interestingly she changed the ages so she writes mm-hmm. presumably as ruth the younger of the two sisters and she's much older than bb and jesse and bb lost one of their siblings yeah. ben in recent years and so mm. you know just that must have been a, a really weird experience for her to write this book pulling on the truths of her relationship with her sister mm-hmm. and grief of a sibling it just came through with really memorable writing. You know, she's mm. got a very unique and clear voice as a writer. I just was totally gripped by it the whole mm. way through. I was so wanting more, even though you were reading sad things. It was yeah. fascinating. And so basically the book follows Ruth mm-hmm. and all of her good and bad decisions in, in dealing with this everlasting grief and how mm. she's really not whole without Hannah and really lost her identity now that she's not a sister or she is a yeah. sister, but her sister's not there. And she becomes very close to Hannah's boyfriend who when Hannah was alive she really wasn't Ruth wasn't a big fan of this boyfriend Mm -hmm. but I think actually she just wasn't a fan of the fact she had a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and that's what I love about Jessie Cave's writing is that she's so honest about all the ugly stuff as well and you know the character of Ruth misses the bad things she misses the arguments Mm -hmm. and she talks about how jealous Ruth felt of Hannah's boyfriend when Hannah and the boyfriend fought Mm. because she was thinking that means he gets to see the ugly parts of her that usually it's Mm. only me that sees those and what if that brings them together like we're together I don't want them to have that bond and Mm. it was she just put things into words that I think lots of people have experienced and I've never thought about like Mm -hmm. that it was really really clever and yeah that relationship between Ruth and the boyfriend both navigating their grief is a very interesting one one that I I really ran with and then really rallied against at different mm. points of the book. Well, there's sort of a question, not really, but of who has the greater claim to uh-huh. the grief. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. It can feel competitive and mm-hmm. selfish and shared and all of mm. those different things. And she really, really channels that incredibly well. And the, mm-hmm. the pace of the book is something else that I thought was 
extraordinary. The section where it moves from the sort of present day grieving Mm -hmm. and the silly small details of life without her all the way back to the moment of her death. It's such a lurch. Yeah. And I felt like I was on a roller coaster and I was at the top and I I didn't know I was at the top and then suddenly I was thundering down and and thrown into this trauma and the speed of a tragedy like that in Mm. which Hannah dies is really reflected in the writing. And there is quite a, a graphic, but not... It's not gratuitous at all, you know, reading the nature that of Ruth seeing Hannah after she's died and taking her to the hospital and the mm-hmm. medical practicalities of it all. It's so skillfully written and just unlike anything I've read before, I was mm-hmm. really, really tense and sort of full of butterflies. And then my shoulders and my neck were really tense. It had such an effect on me. And yeah. I would only notice when I was back in a chapter that was like yeah. at her job in the present day that I was sat there mm. like this, like oh gosh Mm. it was I don't know how she did it really that kind of writing without being brutal or gross or harrowing she kept that shock without Mm -hmm. letting it become nasty it's just it was really stark and it's just such a wonderful book one of the best things I've read in a very long time I really really loved it and there is for all my talk of the honest nature of grief there's a lot of lightness there's Mm -hmm. a lot of love a lot of comedy a lot of everyday yeah experiences in there that makes it a wonderfully well-rounded novel it's not just sad <laughs> but yeah totally one of the best reads for me in a very long time really love wow. it wow well you've sold me I'm, mm. I'm yeah I'm in I'm but done I've, I've left it at home so I can't lend it to you <laughs> <laughs> I actually noticed my local bookshop because I now have a little local bookshop oh yeah. <laughs> has got it in its in its front window but it's closed on a Sunday and a Monday so I couldn't buy it I'll, I'll post it to you <laughs> Oh my god, that sounds absolutely amazing, and it's so good to be talking to you again. Talking to you and seeing you <laughs> and seeing you—that's weird. I know it's quite. <laughs> it's weird. really weird watching you talk because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to just listening. Yeah. It's really strange watching your face move because I haven't seen your face move <laughs> ever, ever before. I'm like a robot. Ever before. No, it's, it's all that Botox around. <laughs> <laughs> It's been marvellous to kick off season three. We hope oh. you're um, happy happy to be back funking with us. Yeah. Here's to uh, a new back, season. Welcome back, <laughs> <laughs> Speak to you next time. Cheers. Bye. Bye.